Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, South London. You can visit us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org. We're in the book of Acts, and we are going to be talking today about being battered and scattered. I wonder if you could turn me up just a little bit, fellas. Um, We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 8. There you go. Acts chapter 8, verse 1 through 5. Now, we have an outline that we've begun to kind of go through. And just to recap, now we're going to not spend too much time on the outline because we've done this a number of times before. And it's really not pertinent at this moment in time apart from one reason I'll come to momentarily. Um, But we've been out of Acts for a few weeks, I think two or three weeks now. So just to help us to kind of catch up, um, I'm going to put the outline just up for a few seconds so you can kind of remind yourself of where we're at and where we're going. And as I said, if you're visiting, you missed that part of what we've done. So we've already done this first section, chapter 1 through to chapter 7. And obviously, because we're in chapter 8 now, we're beginning this second section. And since starting chapter 8, I've found that most of what I've shared has been kind of missions-oriented. But let's just have a quick look at the text before we dive in, as it were. Chapter 8, starting at verse 1. Now Saul was consenting to his death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere, preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. As I said, since starting chapter 8, I found that most of what we've talked about has been missions-oriented. This will be our third week in the first few verses of chapter 8. At the beginning of chapter 8, when we started, we talked about God's agenda. God's agenda. And how sometimes we forget his agenda and we replace it with our agenda. And then the the following week, we talked about growth and motion. Growth and motion. And the first question with regard to that was, are you developing? Are you changing as a Christian? Are you growing as a believer in your understanding of your relationship with God? And the second thing we asked, are you moving? Are you moving in line with God's purposes for your life? Are you moving in line with God's purposes with regard to your career, 
What is it you do on a Monday to Friday, Monday to Saturday basis, or maybe even on a Sunday? With regard to your career, well, whatever it is, is it moving in line with God's will for your life personally? We ask the question, how about your relationships with regard to God's will? Are your relationships moving in line with God's purpose for your life? Not for my life, but, is, but are my relationships going in the right direction? Are they moving in the right direction with regard to God's purpose for my life? So, you can maybe ask yourself the question with regard to relationships. What's your relationship like with another male or other males? And if you're male, what is your relationship like with other females that is in the context of every other relationship apart from a brother-sister relationship that you can have with a woman or you can have with a man? A relationship that's hopefully moving in the direction towards marriage. Let's say you're not married, but you're in a relationship. Why am I not trying to say it? I need to just say it, right? You're in a relationship with a guy. You're in a relationship with a girl, right? Is it a relationship that the Lord wants you in? Is it moving in the right direction with regard to God's will and purpose for your life? What direction is it going in? How about your spouse? Let's say you're married. Is your relationship with your spouse moving in the right direction? Let's say you're with a spouse who's, who's, whose life is moving in the right direction, but your life ain't moving in the right direction. So rather than there being unity, there's division in the relationship. They want to serve the Lord, but you ain't really feeling the Lord. Or you want to serve the Lord, and, and maybe your partner ain't really feeling the Lord. Either way, there's something that can be done. One person needs to repent, and the other person needs to pray. With regard to the direction of your life, how about your friends? First of all, obviously as believers, we're going to say, okay, how about, what's my relationship like with my brothers and my sisters? But then, what's your relationship like with those who are not your brothers and sisters, those who are outside the body of Christ, those who are not Christians? You've got to have a relationship with those outside also, right? What's it like? How about... Your family, your immediate family, prayed for the fathers. I appreciate your prayers, undoubtedly, and I'm sure all the fathers do. But, but Dad, what's your relationship like with your, with your children? Mums, how's your relationship with your kids? How are your relationships, apart from your immediate family, with the rest of your family? The extended family. I know that this week I was confronted with an issue, and it's funny, it's two times this week how the gifts of the Spirit have operated without someone saying, Thus says the Lord. And I mean, once was in prayer meeting just before we started, where Richard prayed about the danger of limiting the Holy One of Israel. That's specifically what the Lord spoke to me like Tuesday, as I was just reading in my devotions. 
Robert, be careful, especially in this time, right, where every, everyone's struggling, where I felt the Lord say, Robert, don't limit me. You know, sometimes we're like, oh, maybe I ask too much of the Lord. No, you don't ask too much of the Lord. It's not like he's going to run out. You know what I mean? And I felt like the Lord said, Robert, don't limit me. My arm is not short. And I'm saying I'm not weak, that, I'm, that, that I can't be strong. I felt like the Lord really spoke to me, you know and I'm saying, in that moment. But then also uh, another time I, I felt the Lord really speak to me was in regard to a relationship that I have with someone who's very close to me who's not a Christian, but very, very, very close to me biologically and it's a relationship you know to be honest with you I tried to invest as much as I could to no avail you know when you just keep putting like pouring money down the drain that's how it's felt like with regard to this relationship and I felt like the Lord just grabbed me up this week again no one ever said it to me directly but indirectly just a sense of you need to fix that relationship you need to do all that you can I'll be like Lord I'm doing I've done all that I can no, the Lord's like, pursue peace with all men as it lies with you. And I was like, yeah, but you know, I could say that I've done that. But you know, to pursue doesn't mean just to try and then, okay, it fails. And then maybe try again and it don't fail, so you give up. No, to pursue means to chase with intent. It's like one of them greyhounds chasing, you know that thing that runs around the track in the greyhound races? That kind of, that's, how, that's, that's what it means to pursue. And I felt like the Lord smite me and say, Robert, you need to pursue that relationship in ways that you haven't done. The voice of the Spirit. And I mean, and I heard it again today, even as I'm sharing with you. <laughs> What's your relationship like with those who are members of your family, an extended family? And then even, you know, kind of slash your enemies. What are your, what are your relationship like? What is your relationship like with your enemies? See, God has an agenda, and with regard to that agenda, it's vital that we look and consider our lives with, with regard to our personal growth and the direction that we're moving in. Here's me trying to sum up some of the things that we've already talked about. Apart from relationships, how, how, about, how about geographically? Are you moving in the right direction? You know, it's important where you live. Because sometimes, very often, where you live determines where you go to church. Because, I mean, I've heard it so many times. People are like, oh, you know what? I'd really love to go there, but I live over here, and it's too far. I hear that all the... You never hear that? I hear that all the time. And um, where are you geographically? Are you where the Lord wants you to be? See, God has an agenda, and his agenda started way back in the Garden of Eden. And it continues to the present day in which we live and beyond. See, that is the bigger picture, which is God's agenda. And everything we do needs to fit into his agenda. We all, as his people, ought to be seeking first his agenda, growing in our understanding of it and moving towards it, ultimately seeking the fulfillment of it in our lives. Now, getting back to where we're at now, the Jerusalem church, 
we're a church. But the Jerusalem church, which is a group of people, like we're a group of people, the Jerusalem church was the first church that was planted. Or the church that was planted in Jerusalem was the first church or the first church of God in Christ. You might have heard of Kojic. I think that's where they get it from. It's a Pentecostal kind of um, denomination. But the first church was the Jerusalem church. Then churches that came out of Jerusalem then became a Jerusalem. Churches that came out of Jerusalem then became a Jerusalem. Does that sound like a, um, one of them brain teasers? Well, here's the church. Now, you can see, I don't know, it's Pastor Patrick up there. No, that couldn't be Patrick. These guys, guys got hair. <laughs> Patrick always shaves his hair off, innit? Um, can't be Pastor Ephraim, and it can't be me. So let's say that's Peter at the Jerusalem church. Yeah. We don't know what he looked like, but he had a nose and eyes and ears. And those are the people in the Jerusalem church. Now notice, I use that picture as opposed to that picture. Why? Because the church is not a building. The church is the people. So we're going to scrub that picture out because that's not the real church, right? So the big one is the church at Jerusalem. And out of the church at Jerusalem came other churches, bigger churches, kind of medium-sized churches, smaller churches, different-sized churches, right? And those other churches, we hear from the text, moved from Jerusalem, which was a particular geographical location. It was a city. The churches spread from that city to other places Within the same province, which is what? Judea. We've done it about probably about eight or nine times now. So the churches come out of the church of Jerusalem. And I said that churches that came out of Jerusalem then became a Jerusalem. Now, if we look at this next slide, we see up top you've got the churches now in Judea, outside of the city of Jerusalem, right? Um, that have become Jerusalem's, little Jerusalem's. And from those churches, we find other churches. So you had the main church at Jerusalem that these little churches came out of, but then out of these little churches, they themselves became Jerusalem's, and they then began to plant churches so does that statement make sense? The Jerusalem church was the first one. Then churches came, that came out of Jerusalem then became a Jerusalem. And some churches we see come out and then start other churches. There's a little one there. Now, that was then, but the story continues with regard to God's agenda. I thank the Lord that it has and does continue, otherwise we wouldn't be here. We are hopefully the result of what took place then. And I can 
identify with that quite categorically because I remember when Pastor Brian Broderson left Vista in California, a thriving church, which was a little bit like a Jerusalem for him, and he left and he came to London and he planted Calvary Chapel, Westminster. And we went along there, myself, Patrick and Ephraim, a couple of likely lads, and I mean, this going back 12, 13 years ago, and when we went in, there was about 20 people there. It was an evening service. And we were searching for a church for about two years. And one of the things we didn't do was church hop. We didn't move from church to church. And so we stayed where we was and we prayed and we said, Lord, we realize that we come to the point where we need to leave this church because of doctrinal deficiency, doc doctrinal deficiency, but we didn't just run. We just said, Lord, show us. Because really and truly, I can't even say that it was our spirituality. It's because there were so many churches that were similar. We knew that if we would leave that one, it would have been like jumping out the frying pan into the fire. So we're like, Lord, where are we going to go? And the Lord, in his grace, provided Calvary Chapel Westminster, which was the first real Bible teaching church that we came across. Expositional teaching like we do, just line upon line, verse by verse. That was like, yo... Why didn't somebody else think of this? You know what I mean? And um, so not to stray from the point, Pastor Brian planted that church, and we were in that church for a number of years. As I said, what, 12 years or so? Um, and then we, after a certain period of time, was it 12 years? No, it wasn't 12 years, was it? It was about... Well, we were there for about seven years when we then left... And we came out of Westminster and planted Calvary Chapel, South London. So if you like, Westminster was our Jerusalem. And then we left that Jerusalem and we planted another Jerusalem. Now, it wasn't Jerusalem for Westminster. It was now Judea for Westminster. But it was now our Jerusalem. This is our Jerusalem. I remember our ordination back in 2003. Again, the three of us were up at the pastor's conference in York. And thank the Lord, I mean, I suppose it doesn't really matter who ordains you as long as obviously they got credentials. But we had all the big guns come down. It was like John Corson, um, Pastor Dave Sylvester from up York. I think Bill Gallatin was there. I mean, Pastor Brian Broderson and... Pastor Chuck Smith himself was there. And they laid hands on us and prayed for us. And I remember when we finished, we sat down. I don't know if you remember, P. And Pastor Chuck came and sat down with us. I'm not going to try and do his voice because I can't do it. P's good at doing his voice. But um, he sat us down and he said, you know what, guys? He said, Costa Mesa was my Jerusalem. He says, you guys are now my, my, uh, like my Judea. Obviously, it's not his church, right? Right. I have to take time when I say that. Um... But we are, he said, you are now my Judea. Or actually even Samaria. No, actually you are the uttermost parts of the earth for us. But he says now, he says South London is going to be your Jerusalem. And hopefully from out of that church, other churches should be planted. Because when something is alive, it ought to grow. God's agenda still stands. Jesus said, I will build my church. 
and the gates of hell, which is death, will not prevail against it. And true to form, Jesus continues to build his church, amen? Because he's faithful like that. He means what he says. We should take him at his word. God's agenda still stands, and church planting, which is something that I'm really excited about, I want to talk about, but it's not for now. We'll talk about it more in the weeks to come. Church planting is a big part of God's agenda. It's a big part of God's agenda. It stood then, and it continues to stand now. Now, here's a question. Where are you at? Are you in a Jerusalem, or are you in a Judea? Or, even as I look around the room, are you in a Samaria, or even a church that's the utmost parts of the earth? Where are you at? You are either in a Jerusalem, or you're in a Judea, and so on. Are you in a church that was planted, or are you in a church out of a church, as it were? I suppose that, that's a, a question that really has a few answers. And I mention this because this is a problem in the church. Not just here in South London, we feel the repercussions of it, but also in the church in general. As I said, we tried not to, and it was the grace of God, I can't even lie. Again, it wasn't because we were so spiritual. But we didn't church hop. But Christians have a habit of hop, skipping, and jumping, coming like that. I don't know, like athletics, like the Olympics, from one church to another. Moving from one church to the other, to the other. Don't be that kind of Christian. It's not healthy. As you can see from the diagram, if, it, if it's clear enough, as you can see, churches are people. Churches are groups of people, which is taken directly from the Greek word ecclesia, which is where we get our word for church. It means an assembly. Therefore, a church plant is the planting of individuals. It's a planting of people. And it's the planting of people in a particular place where they take root in order that they may bear fruit. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man that walks not after the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the, seat of, stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in it does he meditate day and night. That man shall be like a what? Like a tree. Planted by the rivers of water in order that he might draw sustenance from it and bear fruit. In and out of season. Right? Planted. You don't see trees running around. Uprooting themselves. Because, you know, I ain't really feeling this orchard. I ain't really feeling that the man who looks after orchards. What do you call them? Sorry. Just not with it today. 
So I'm leaving this orchard. I'm going to go find another orchard. They say the grass is always greener on the other side, right? No, you never get that. And I know that, you know, probably, possibly, some of you may not want to hear this. But this is one of the reasons why we have to introduce membership. Now, someone ain't probably the best verse to use with regard to <laughs> church membership and being planted. I use it as an analogy, but I'm going to come to some verses in a moment. But this is one of the reasons why we're going to introduce membership. Because being planted is vital for you as a believer. See, being planted means things that we don't like, like accountability. It's like, it's like Pastor Ephraim mentioned about fathers, didn't he, earlier? And he said, you know, being a father means being responsible. And it's a hard job. It's a hard task. And most run from it. I mean, most men in our culture don't want to get married, first of all. And then second, I mean, well, let, me, let me go back. Don't want to get married. What they'd rather do is just be footloose and fancy free. See, that's why I never ever wanted to get married back in the day it was the the lord had to like pin me down like giant haystacks you get me like mick mcmanus if you remember them wrestling days i don't know the new wrestlers what are the new wrestlers called the rock i don't know that's how the lord had to pin me down and get me in a chokehold until i tapped out okay it's either submit or die that's how the lord got me to submit to marriage because I was not feeling it. I didn't want no one telling me about where I can go, when I can go. And I have to think about, I got to phone home and just clear it and can't buy this. And I didn't want none of that in my life. I wanted to be my own man. But I wanted the privileges that came with being married. I wanted to enjoy all the delicacies that came and were associated with marriage. But I didn't want the responsibility. And I'm saying, being a father means being responsible. And it means with gritted teeth and tears running down your face, you, you stand firm with regard to responsibilities. And sometimes you stand and sometimes you fall. But the righteous get knocked down, but the Lord will raise them up. You know what I mean? And God is, is, is helping us to be responsible. And responsibility comes by making a commitment to that woman. Making a commitment to that man. From that point, when you put that ring on, everything changes. Where's Reynold? Hey. Amen. Where's Mac? Okay. Charlotte? And Julia? Amen. All right. When you, you guys, if you listen to the MP3, hey. When you put that ring on, everything changes. You are now completely and utterly accountable. That's why we do marriage like preparation before people get married here. Because once, true, before you get married, you can quote unquote do what you want to do. I'm not saying that what you do is going to be right, but you can do what you want to do, right? But if you're here and, and 
And you want to do that, we're going to confront you. Because that's being irresponsible. But then once you get married and you put the ring on the finger, then we're going to still hold you accountable. And if things are falling apart, you know someone's going to step to you. Hey, it's Pastor Ephraim, Pastor Patrick, or myself may not even need to step to you. Someone else might, Richard may step to you. Mark might step to you. If you're married and you're flopping. Why? Because now that you've put the ring on the finger, you've made yourself accountable. Now, I said all of that to relate it back to membership and say, one of the reasons we're implementing membership is so that we can make you accountable. If you don't sign and say, hey, this is my church, I'm a part of this fellowship, boom, I'm here. If you don't say that, then we can't hold you accountable. Because if we ain't got no membership, people, you, you can just breeze in and breeze out. But when we say, you know what, hey, it's really nice to meet you, welcome. It's an open door policy. We love to have you, but if you're, if you're saying that you're coming here and you're going to make this your community, you're going to make this your fellowship, then you need to make a commitment. You make, and we make a commitment to you. And hey, now we're inextricably linked together, come hell or high water, come good times or bad times, like a marriage to a degree, we're committed to one another. See, being planted means accountability. It also means scrutiny. Hmm. Man, I had my life scrutinized since I come to the church like, what? People all up in my business. <laughs> you know, we hate it. I don't hate it just as a black man. You get me? People up in my business. No, I hate it as a human being. We, none of us want people up in our business. Scrutiny. You scrutinize them. Wait a minute. When you begin to walk in the flesh, in the old man. But you see, that's what comes by virtue of being a part of the community. Also, accessibility. You got stuff that I need, and vice versa. So we got to be accessible to one another. Exposure. Expectation. These are all of the things that come out of being a part of the body of Christ, by being a part of the community. And that is what helps us to become tight-knit. I know that the, the greatest and the strongest relationships I've got are the ones that I've been through the most drama with. The ones where snorting and lip trembling because I'm angry and I... I know I, I want to hurt somebody physically in the natural. Don't like it. Them people that I've been through them, them type of times with, they're my strongest friends. And I'm sure the same is true for you too. Tight-knit community. And like a tree, we grow in those circumstances. And you know what? For you, we can all begin to benefit from your fruit How many of you know that a tree doesn't eat its own fruit? And how many of you know that a, a good tree will bear fruit? And a good tree will bear good fruit at that. Membership is the practical planting of your life as an individual in the local community. It's like Nokia. That's what me, P, and 
Pastor E are up to. We're trying to connect people. It's connecting you to the body with regard to the place that your part needs to be. Amen? Membership. Now, we're going to be talking about this as we're coming up closer to it. So it's not going to jump out on you and scare you. You're going to be fully cognizant of what you're signing up for by the time we get there. Hopefully September, October. And we can safely say that membership is going to help so much. And it's not making a member of the body of Christ. It's identifying. So... And it's going to help us to know that you're committed to this local community, this local body. But it will also help to challenge you to become more than just a Sunday meeting attender or attendee. I think that's the proper English. It will help you to serve those people around you and it will allow those same people to serve you. Now, we'll pick up in verse 1 of Acts chapter 8. And it says... That Saul was consenting to his, that is, Stephen's death. Stephen was a man who was plugged in. Stephen was a man who was committed to the church at Jerusalem. He was committed to that body of people in Jerusalem. He was a deacon and he was serving. Serving the, the Hellenists, if you remember when we done chapter 6, the Greek-speaking widows. He was willing to do menial tasks like serving tables, like bringing out the food. I think Pastor Pete announced that Mac and Julia need some helpers for the wedding. How many of you served at weddings? Hey, welcome to Stephen's world. Running and bringing in the food. Running back out to take out the empty plates. Running back, wiping the tables, mopping up the spills. Serving others first and eating last. He was a servant. And we have some that are here just like Stephen, here in our church. Thank the Lord for you. And we will be formally recognizing you in the next few months. Now how glamorous was that? That is Stephen and his serving others. How glamorous a life was that? I mean, like when you're at a wedding and you're serving, no one ain't looking at you. No one don't care about you in your black and white. It's all about the bride and the groom. Stephen's there serving others. And yet, he was a giant of a Christian. The scripture says in chapter 6 that he had a good reputation says that he was full of the Holy Spirit. It says that he had wisdom. You'd be like, man, this brother's talents are being wasted. No. And verse 5 of Acts chapter 6 says he was full of faith. He was a man who recognized God's agenda. And he was growing and he was moving towards God's fuller purpose. And he was willing to be a witness on a local level. He was willing to be a witness on a local level. Yet we see him cut down 
in the prime of his ministry. And from Stephen's death, we see three amazing things come about as a result. Like a threefold chain of cause and effect. The first thing that we see take place is a great persecution. Verse 1 goes on to say, At that time, a great persecution arose against the church which was at Jerusalem. Now, I hope that, and I'm taking my time, I hope that when we read a verse like that in light of the things that we've, seen, we've said, in light of the slides that I've shown you, at that time, a great persecution arose against the church which was at Jerusalem. It began on that day. The day of Stephen's death. And it broke out with ferocity. Like a sudden storm. And the word used for great in the original language is megas or megas. M-E-G-A-S. And it means high, loud, large. A great persecution. Spelt virtually the same way we would, we would spell mega. As in massive, exceedingly great, mighty, and strong. Not just persecution, that would be enough. But mega, great persecution. And they, that is the church, or the people who were closely associated with Jesus in that place, were all scattered. Scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, Except the apostles. Now the second thing we see happen on the basis of Stephen's death is that they were scattered. Can you imagine what that must have been like? People literally running for their lives. As we travel on our journey through the book of Acts, I would like to take opportune moments to introduce you to different Christians on mission. Past present and future you may have remembered when last year that is back in 2008 i think it was about october we had pastor william branch speak very pointedly to the topic of what see if anybody remembers three things christology come back to that one what was the other one what was the other one Sorry, ecclesiology. Thank you, Maximus. Christology, ecclesiology, and missiology. Missiology. See, it's a biblical look at missions. Now, we, now he spoke about that. Now, we have been preparing for our own missions trip. It being really our third missionary journey, if you like. Because the first two were to where? Romania, two years running, and now this is our, as, a, as a church, is our third missionary journey to Jamaica, right? Last week, we had Pastor Mike Bryan come and, come and speak, and he was a missionary to Russia. Missions. It's kind of like the flavor of the, not month, flavor of the year, the topic of the moment. Let me introduce you to another missionary. How many of you have heard of Helen Rosevere. She was a medical missionary to the Congo. I'm going to show you a quick clip. 
The hardest story in Helen Rosevere's life comes after she's been in Congo for almost 10 years, or more than 10 years actually. In 1960, the Belgian Congo, which was the country she went to, which then became Congo, which then became Zaire, which now is the Democratic Republic of Congo, um, it gained its independence in 1960. That was not a, a bloody revolution, although it was a very unsettled time. In 1964, there was a rebellion from within the country, the Simba Rebellion, and uh, trying to take o a group within the country trying to take over the government. That was a very bloody time, and many missionaries were killed during that time. The Simba, the, the young people who were fighting, um, had been told by their leaders, the witch doctors, that they were impervious to bullets. When they started dying, they started looking for who had the greater magic. And if it wasn't the witch doctors, then it must be the white doctors. And so people like Helen Rosevere, who had remained in the country, became targets. One night, her house was ransacked and she was captured beat up very badly, and that was already bad enough, then she was also raped. And during that time, she writes of feeling, why have you forsaken me? And she felt as if God was saying to her, it's not you they're attacking, it's me. And this is, you are partaking in the fellowship of the sufferings of Christ, like it says in Philippians 3, 10. Um, at the time when she prayed to him like that, she describes a sense of almost like water rinsing through her, peace rinsing through her and rinsing away her fear, just washing it away. So that was in October of 64. It wasn't until January of 65 that she was rescued and went back to England. She was in England for a year and then she went back again. A year later, she went back to Congo and remained there until 1973. Since then, she goes all around and speaks. Here she is at 82, traveling across the Atlantic to speak. Now, we know that God is the one, only one, who can give strength and energy. You can't count on that at any age, and at 82, less. To, to Not everyone can do that. But even people who do have such strength and energy aren't necessarily using them for God's purposes as I see her using it. So I, her whole life I see as a really great picture of standing and continuing. I'm going to show you another clip in a moment. But persecution it sounds like a strange idea that is foreign to our thinking. Persecution is a strange concept in Western Christianity. But persecution isn't a strange concept in biblical Christianity. Suffering is a strange idea that is foreign to our thinking. Suffering is a strange concept in Western Christianity. Yet, suffering isn't a strange concept 
in biblical Christianity. Your ability to be a missionary, that is local or foreign. Your ability to be a missionary is directly related to your willingness to embrace difficulty. Your ability to be a missionary is directly related to your willingness to embrace difficulty. And because of her willingness to embrace hardship as a good soldier, others were benefited. We are benefited by the sacrifice of others. Myself, Patrick and Ephraim were benefited by the sacrifice of Brian Broderson leaving his home and everything he was familiar with, lovely climate and sunshine in California, to come to London. Our lives were transformed radically because of his sacrifice. What you get to appreciate here and enjoy, I would suspect to some degree, at Calvary Chapel, South London, and in any church that you go to, is the byproduct of a missional response to the gospel. This church, it came out of the recognition of God's agenda. This church has come out of individual personal growth. This church has come out of a commitment to sacrifice. It's come out of a willingness to move out, even though it's only a few miles, to move out. And the question is, would you be willing to go somewhere? Local, as I said, or foreign. Both are just as important. Short or long term in order to see others benefited. Now you might be a singer or a musician. You might be a rapper. You might be a gifted speaker, a teacher. You might be a writer. I don't think they get enough exposure. Not in our environments anyway. You might be a poet. Some Christians are confused as to what to do with their lives, what to do with their gifts, what to do with their talent, what to do with their energy. Many Christians are confused. Regarding books and written material, how many of you know that that all used to belong to an environment that they used to call the Christian Publications Ministry? It's over the past, what, 15, 20 years, is now no longer the Christian Publications Ministry. It's now become the Christian Publication Industry. Now, there is an industry part to the ministry. But where is the Christian part of the industry? Some Christian musicians are confused. Why? Because what used to be known as the Christian music ministry, where someone would be willing, you know, it would be a privilege for someone just to be able to sing so the people can be benefited. What? You want to you bless me on top of that? What, I'm paying for my expenses? Wow. Thank you. 
Why? Because they came to give, they never come to receive. But now, it's like, yo, sending out rider, I want grapes and I want sparkling and not still water and what used to be known as the Christian music ministry is in some ways evolving into now this Christian music industry. And Christians are confused. Am I a Christian or am I a musician? Am I a musician or am I a Christian? I don't know. I'm confused. Well, there is one thing that you must know. And it's the verse that was quoted a moment ago. Philippians 3 verse 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Now that don't matter if you're a doctor, singer, rapper, teacher, mechanic. This relates to you. This relates to me. And this is what you must know apart from all of that other stuff. What you must know is you must know him. And you must know his power. Yes, we all want his power. But also, you know, you ain't going to get the power without the fellowship of his sufferings. Being a partaker of that and tasting to some degree what he tasted in terms of suffering. Now, here's the other video I want to show you real quick. The question that's going to be asked by this interviewer is of the lady that we just heard the biographical description of. Is she still alive? And um, that was John Piper's wife that gave the biography. Now, now you're going to hear her. Listen to what this lady has to say. 82 years old. And the question is, the question is, with regard to suffering... Some Christians not really understanding what is the deal with suffering. Dr. Rosevear, another question for you. Um, is a lot of people think about missions and feel called to missions, but fear the suffering element. They might read the biographies that you mentioned or, or read your own works and, and have a genuine fear of suffering and know that they're doing the Christian life here in America and doing okay and remaining faithful and wondering, if I go overseas and I undergo tremendous suffering, I don't know what will happen, and I fear that. How would you speak to somebody who's, who's wavering between staying here and, and going to another country? I know that the evening that I came to know the Lord Jesus as my Savior, uh, seven o'clock in the evening, and I was at a youth house party over the Christmas holidays from college, and I went downstairs to the evening meeting and somebody said, what's happened to you? <laughs> and I guess I, I was so overwhelmed at the wonder that God loved me so much he sent Jesus to die for me. And I was given a Bible. It was the first Bible I ever owned. And the man who'd been doing the Bible studies at the house party, Dr. Graham Scroggy wrote in the flyleaf of my Bible, Philippians 3.10. For some of you today, I've been signing books, and you'll find Philippians 3.10 is written in, because that was my verse, it was given to me. And he said to me, he quoted the verse first, that I may know Christ, 
and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. He said, tonight you've started that verse that I may know Christ. He said, my prayer for you in the years that lie ahead is that you'll know more and more of the power of his resurrection. And then he said, very quietly, he was a very straight, upright man, very quietly looking straight at me, he said, maybe one day God will give you the privilege to know something of the fellowship of his sufferings. I'd been a Christian half an hour, and I, <laughs> and I was told that it was a privilege to suffer for Jesus. And that word privilege has stayed with me, I think, possibly more than any other one word in my Christian life ever since it's privilege. It's a privilege that he saved me. It's a privilege that he's allowed me to have any part in talking to others about him. Everything has been privilege. And the fact that I was told the same night that I came to know Jesus as my savior, that it's a privilege to have fellowship in his sufferings. And I just fear that in today's climate, we, that any of us who have the privilege of speaking to others, encouraging others to accept Jesus as their savior, we don't underline straight away that the Christian life will involve suffering. That, that it, in our country, we don't really know what persecution is. We may get jeered at, cold shoulders, laughed at, but we expect in Muslim countries, we expect new Christians to accept suffering. Uh, and we think it's very marvelous of them. We don't think about it for ourselves, but we should all of us know that if we love the Lord Jesus, he himself said, if you're going to follow me, take up your cross and follow me. And where was he going? He was going to Calvary. And we have to follow him there. The, the death to the self-life, the death, death to my ambition, my rights to be who or what or where I wish. That the, the giving of that over to Jesus and letting him really live his life in and through us under any circumstance which will involve suffering. I believe the Savior suffers today for the millions of unreached, untouched people who've never yet even heard his name. And he invites us. And it's such a privilege, such a privilege to be invited to share with him in his sufferings. I've got no panacea to offer you. I've got no way of saying you won't suffer. You will suffer. You should suffer if you're really a Christian because you're going to be indwelt by Jesus and he suffers. That probably hasn't answered your question, which I've already forgotten what it was. But... <laughs> That was a lady who gave up her whole life to serve others, not locally, but in the Congo, far removed from everything she was familiar with. Not because she had to, but because she chose to. That was a woman who was beaten, battered, and raped. And her favorite scripture is Philippians 3.10. I've actually got a book by Helen Rosevere. And I've actually got, I've got it signed by her 
And it says, with love in prayer, Helen Rosevere, Philippians 3, verse 10. Um, that book's kind of special to me. The book's called, Give Me This Mountain. <laughs> and it's a quote from Caleb out of Joshua, chapter 14, verse 6. You know, um, for those of you that are going to be a part of the Jamaica Missions meeting, we got a box full of missionary biographies that we're going to give you. I say give you, we're going to lend you. <laughs> to take and read. Because when you begin to appreciate the lives of those who have laid them down, rather than take them to themselves, like Jesus says, you never really gain your life until when? Until you lose it. And I mean... There's something you must know. And what you must know is him. And when you come to that place of knowing him, you can't know him without also then in some way partaking, yes, of his power, but then also of his sufferings. Know that you are here as a Christian on missions. However you work it out, you need to know that that is your primary calling. Whatever it is you do and how you work it out, praise the Lord. That's down to you to find that between you and God. But fundamentally, you are here as a missionary, local or foreign. So, knowing that, I have to remind you that it may involve persecution and it definitely will involve suffering so I ask the question to where are you called local or foreign and this is hard stuff to listen to if you're trying to hold on to your old life and I'm asking the question to where are you called? Because as a missionary, you're called somewhere. I encourage you to pray about it. See, and it's there that you begin to appreciate the need to be planted. Because it's as you're planted and your roots go down deep, you grow and you become mature to the point where you can now as a mature tree, be now transplanted and placed in another environment where you can bear fruit now for others. But you can't become that mature tree. You cannot become that mature believer if you keep moving around. Can I encourage you? And if it's not here, please make it somewhere. We're not trying to get, you know, we're not trying to get more people to sign up to South London, even though we do want people to sign up for South London. Verse 1 says, they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. The second thing that we see is that they were scattered. 
And these churches scattered all over. Not just Judea now, but also in Samaria. That's a big one. All over, scattered. How would it feel to be scattered? Separated from friends and family. Moved, in this case, not like Helen, but in this case, moved not because you want to be, but moved by virtue of circumstances, infringing circumstances on your life. How would that feel? How would it feel if you were moved from where you live, from those that you love, from all that you're familiar with, scattered? It could be seen as quite a negative thing. Maybe they saw it as a negative thing. But it was a part of God's agenda. And the church began to spread, but the church as it spread began to grow. Scattered or thoroughly sown, like a farmer sowing seed in a field. God uses terrible situation to scatter or sow the church or people. Scattered them further afield, driven out of Jerusalem, and as they went, they planted seed. By the time that Paul had written 1 Thessalonians 2 in AD 51, he writes about the churches, plural, in Judea. But there was only... One church originally, if you remember, in Judea, and it was the mega church in Jerusalem. Yet with quick succession, we see many churches, all as a result of the persecution of Stephen. And that's why we need mega churches. I should say mega good churches or good mega churches. We do. So that we can have people raised up so they can go out and they can be supported. I used to think that large churches were unspiritual. Ah, big church. No one knows each other. You just roll in and roll out. Yeah? If the mechanics are not in place, that will happen. But you know what? We need many Jerusalem-type, Jerusalem-sized churches. And I pray, honestly, I pray that this church would become that. Would become a big church. Would become a, quote-unquote, mega church. Not so that we can glory in its bigness, but that so we could become a hub. And we can become a place where we can send other people so that they can be planted in different places, so they can grow, so that they can become Jerusalems and they can send people and continue in that fashion. I want to be a missionary church planting center. We've got a lot of work to do. And may God give us vision for that. It's going to mean being very organized, which is what we're trying to do. It means being efficient. It means being structured, committed. It means, to, it means being unified. May God help us. Now, I've still got so much to, to share, but time is against us. So...
I don't want to kill you guys. You guys have been sitting a long time. It's warm in here as well, isn't it? And I, I hate doing this. <laughs> I hate stopping halfway through a message. But very often I share, I continue to share because <laughs> I'm thinking of myself. I'm not thinking of you. So I think I'm going to stop here. I don't know what I'm going to do next week, but because I already had something planned. So let's stop <clears throat> and um, let's pray and trust that the Lord will just use what we got so far. Amen. Amen. Father, we are, well, I can't lie. Father, I'm challenged. I'm challenged as I, not as I look at the world. The world's trying to draw me away from your purposes. That's so obvious. It's so blatant. It's so bait. And Lord, you know, there's a section of kind of liberal Christianity, moderate Christianity, Lord, the whole prosperity side of quote-unquote Christianity. That's the dangerous thing because that's saying you can have all of this good stuff and still be godly while the world is saying come and have the good stuff but it's blatantly ungodly. And yet, Lord, when we look into the face of Christ in the scriptures, we don't see someone who's saying, yeah, it's all about getting rich and having the nicest car and the biggest house and the best of jobs and and then giving ourselves to attaining that, even praying for that. Father, when we look in the face of Christ with regard to the Word of God, we see someone who who suffered. And encourages us in, the, in like manner as we heard Helen say. To pick up our cross and follow him. And so Lord in the soberness of the moment. And Lord with open hearts. We're saying Lord. To some degree Lord we. We want to do that. We want to we wanna be what you want us to be that is. And embrace the suffering, embrace the cross, embrace the crown of thorns, embrace the rejection in the garden. We're going to embrace the spitting and the jeering and the cold shoulders. and We want to embrace that, but Father, there's a part of us that doesn't want that, if we be honest. But then there's that deep part in us that does want that. And so what can we do but cast ourselves on your mercy and ask you to help us? Lord, you have a desire for us to be what you want us to be. Help us to have a desire to be what you want us to be. We know, Lord, without the power of your spirit at work in our hearts and in our lives, it's it's impossible. No one's going to choose that of themselves. It's going to take a work of your spirit in our hearts, in our lives. And Lord, I think for so many of us, you've definitely brought us to that place. That place of challenge. And you gently wrestle us to the ground like Jacob. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to come to that point where we just give up, Lord, where we just stop wrestling. And even if we don't fully know what your purpose is, Lord, that we'd say, you know what, Lord, I don't know exactly what you want for my life. I don't know exactly where you want me to go locally or 
on a larger context, but Lord, I'm here. Like Isaiah, Lord, we would just say, Lord, I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm a woman who is unable and incapable. I'm single. Whatever our circumstances might be, Lord, that we would just come to you, Lord, genuinely with a heart that is willing and say, Lord, here I am, send me. Father, help us to genuinely be able to say, Father, not my will, but your will be done. Not my agenda, but Father, your agenda. Help us, I pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. 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 You guys want to stand with me real brief? And so now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are being sanctified. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and grant you peace this week, especially as you meditate on those things. Amazing how Helen was able to have peace in the midst of that mad drama that she was experiencing to the point where she said, God, why have you forsaken me? And Lord, I pray for my brothers and my sisters, Lord, who might be in that place, Lord, where they're feeling like you've just just up and done a runner and they feel like they're in the midst of it, Lord. Remind them that you're with them. You said, when you go through the flood, I will be there. You said, when you go through the fire, I will be there with you. And Father, encourage us as the enemy comes in, Lord, like a flood, Lord, raise up your standard against him and fight our battles for us because we're so weak, we can't fight. Lord, I pray that you help, you help us to overcome this week, Lord. Even if it means being overcome, help us to overcome, Lord, in your sense of the word, I pray. 